Wow. Can you believe we got snow for Christmas? I pray for things like that. How many of you are upset with me? <laughs> I got what I asked for. So let me ask you this. There's a question to think about. What are you so passionate about? What are you so obsessed with? What are you so consumed by that you will go anywhere? You will do anything. You will spend whatever it takes to have that one thing and filter that through the question of it is Christmas. So what is it that you're chasing down this Christmas? And I know this, what you want right now, everybody wants something. That's just, if you're breathing, you, there's something you're chasing down that you would love to have. And it's probably different for every one of us. It's probably different at every stage of your life, but we've all got that thing. So I'm going to ask some of you right now, because it is Christmas, what's that gift that you're just really hoping that you get Monday or tomorrow if you have no delayed gratification at all? So, so how many of you, just a show of hands, how many of you are looking for fingerlings this year? Nobody? Yeah. There's a lot of adults here who are embarrassed to say that's what I'm looking for. You're, you're trying to find one for somebody that you love or you want one yourself. How about this? Anybody looking for Star Wars figures? Anybody looking for LOL surprise? These are three of the hottest gifts this year, so it doesn't surprise me if you are looking for those. Have you ever had any difficulty finding the thing you're looking for? There's a reason for that. So last year, the big thing that everybody was looking for, especially with, with children, was Hatchimals. Remember those? Okay, so the reason you can't find what you're looking for are these two guys are part of the problem. Last year, these two guys, among other people, figured out the Hatchimals were going to be the big thing. As soon as Hatchimals hit the shelf at Target, Toys R Us, Walmart, wherever it was, they scooped them up, turned around and sold them on eBay or Amazon for sometimes hundreds of percents of market. Lots of people do that. I'm sorry if I'm not judging you if you do that. That's smart. But what shocks me is that there are people who are willing to pay a two or 300 percent markup for some of that stuff. Not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have done that to get the thing that you were looking for? A lot of people chasing a lot of things down. I know what my one thing would be. And if you've known me any length of time, you know what my one thing would be. Chocolate. I will go anywhere, do anything. This summer, uh, somebody stole an entire tractor trailer of chocolate. It was in Germany. Uh, it wasn't me. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Yeah, it was full of Nutella and Kinder chocolate. The police issued a, a statement, and here's what they said. I love this. They said, if, if anyone offers you large quantities of chocolate via unconventional channels, you should report it to the police immediately. <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing I'm thinking I'm going to do if somebody offers me a lot of chocolate. No, I'm not going to tell the police. Go. You know, here's an, I know other people are chasing down Bitcoin. I'm sorry if you invested in Bitcoin or as I'm thinking, you're just rolling the dice on Bitcoin. But uh, that's what a lot of people are chasing down, going to get rich quick. Uh, a lot of people. For somebody, it might be this. Anybody hoping to get a new smartphone for Christmas or you already got it? The iPhone X is out, the iPhone 10, it's pretty cool. I don't know if we need researchers to tell us this, but researchers this year determined that we are obsessed with our phones. Yeah, <laughs> like I said, I don't know that I need a researcher to tell me that one. So what they did is they, they got a lot of people to volunteer to put a, an app on their smartphone that would track literally everything they did with their smartphone 24-7, 365. Every swipe, every tap, every text that they sent, it tracked their usage for an extended period of time, and then it downloaded it for the researchers to, to look at. So I need a show of hands on this one, or just actually, just say it out loud. How many times a day do you think the average user interacted with their smartphone? Say a number. You guys are so low. The average user interacted with their phone 3,000 times a day. You know what the top users were using it at? 
double, 6,000 times a day. So when you calculate that out, that is literally millions of times a year. Some of you are going, that, a year? That's my Monday. What are they talking about, year? And, and by the way, this was only a study done of Android users. I'm sure iPhone users, like myself, we, we're very responsible. <laughs> we're not obsessed with our phones at all. No, probably not. Denzel Washington, the actor, was interviewed by the BBC this summer, and he said something about cell phones and smartphones. He said, you know, we really ought to be thinking about this. He asked the question, are you using your phone, or is your phone using you? Can you put it down? Can you turn it off? And he said, I'm not knocking the phone. We have to at least ask ourselves, though, around the world, is the, what, what is the smartphone doing to us? Which I would just extend that question a little bit further. What is it doing to us when we chase anything and pursue something obsessively like that, whatever it is, including being able to be willing to pay 300% markup on a toy for Christmas? What does that do to us? There's a principle I think that we need to grab a hold of, and I think you'll shake your head yes and go, yeah, I've seen this. And, and it is this idea that what we pursue in life has the ability to literally shape our lives. It even has the ability to shape our souls. What we chase down and we obsess about, it, it does that. And another way of saying it might be, what you choose to chase changes you. What does it do to a person? Let's just go back to the smartphone. To have an object that will constantly entertain you at a moment's notice. To have something that will feed your ego by likes on social media. You know, a device that will allow you to talk to anyone anywhere in the world, often to the exclusion of the real people who are right in front of you right in that moment. What does this do to you when this becomes the focus of your attention to where you're interacting with this a couple million times a year? And, or any other thing in your life, what does that do to us? You know, I'm not anti-Christmas, but what does it do to us when we put consumerism in the place of what we do around this holiday season? Uh, what you pursue in life will shape you. This doesn't have to be a negative either. This can be flipped to the positive. It can be to your benefit. If you think about it, if what we chase in a negative sense shapes us negatively, if I chase something that's good and worthy of my respect and my obsession, then it's obviously going to shape my life in a good way, right? I think this might be what Jesus had in mind when he taught something in Matthew. If you want to look there, you can. It's Matthew 6.33. We'll have it up on the screen. Jesus taught this. He said, seek first God's kingdom, seek first God's righteousness, and then all these other things that you worry about, they'll be given to you as well. And in this context of what he was doing was he was teaching about the things that people worry about. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? What are we going to, how are we going to live? And Jesus says, I know you worry about these things. Everybody does. People who don't even believe in God worry about these things, but you don't need to because your heavenly father already knows what you need. What you need to do is make the pursuit of your life the most important thing and the best thing, which is God. And when you do that, all these other things that you think you need and, and obsess over, those get thrown in too because God knows you need them. And I wonder if when Jesus was teaching this, if he had in mind something that had happened 30 some years before when he was a little baby, not that he would have remembered this, but there were some people who came to see him and they obsessively pursued him even when he was young and, and it changed their lives. I want to look at their story. If you're already in Matthew six, you can just go back or swipe back if you're on the Bible app to Matthew chapter two. And I want to look at this account of some people who pursued Jesus back when he was born. And I think there's some lessons that we can gain from this. So let's go ahead and go through it. I'm going to start reading in verses one and two. You can follow along if you want. It says there after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
Okay, we'll stop there. Who are these magi? And how did they figure out what they figured out? How did they know what they knew? So one thing that we know about this, that Matthew's tipping us off to who they are and what their identity is, because he calls them magi, which is a pretty specific word. We get the word magic from that. Um, magi, we also, you know, the we three kings of Orient are, same guys. I don't know why we think there's three. Maybe there's some ideas of why, but we don't know how many there were. Uh, they're the kings or the wise men, the magi. There's something about them. Matthew's trying to say they're mysterious. But people, when Matthew was writing his book 2,000 years ago, would have also kind of known people like Magi. And the first thing that I notice about these Magi, just from what we've already read, is they sure did get an awful lot of knowledge from one star. Do you ever walk out in the, in, at night and just look at the stars? Like, how would you know that there's even a new one up there? They did. But not only did they know that there's a new light that didn't belong there, they knew that it meant something. They're smart enough to research it out. One of the places they apparently looked was in the ancient Jewish writings. Some of which, if you've got one of these, you've got a Bible, you've got some of the ancient Jewish writings. There was a prophecy that was already a thousand years old during their time that they no doubt went to. This is in your Bible. It's Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. And it says, and the person who's giving this prophecy said, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but in the far distant future, a star will rise from Jacob, that's Israel, a scepter, which is a significant of a king, a scepter will emerge from Israel. Now, like I said, this is a thousand year old prophecy when the Magi would have read the scrolls and they would have went, okay, new star, it's rising over Israel, a king has been born. They figured it out. Now, Apparently they saw this, they figured it out. We can intuit from that the Magi are well-educated. They're powerful people because of what they also do. They're obsessed enough to go on a trip of hundreds, if not thousands of miles to figure out where the king is that's been born. Now, when I say they're obsessed, they're not like psycho-obsessed. They're more like Elon Musk. We're going to be on Mars in seven years. And you believe him because you just know that's the kind of guy. They, the Magi were that kind. We, they apparently had enough funding to do something like this. It was a dangerous trip, so they've got a lot of maybe security around them. We call them the kings because they probably had a lot of respect in a lot of governments. They had a lot of authority. And so they were able to take this trip, and they were able to cross international lines, and they were able to do this safely. And they roll into Israel. They roll into Jerusalem. And it was, I think another thing about them is they are just intellectually curious how do you explain to your wife and your kids and your family, yeah, we, we saw a star, and we're going to be going on a trip, and I'll see you in a couple of years. How do you do that? And they not think you're crazy. They did it. Well, I think one of the other things they may have found in the ancient Jewish writings was out of another prophet, which would have been 700 years before their time. This is Isaiah 60. I'm going to read verse 1, 3, and 6. You can follow along if you'd like. Arise, Jerusalem. Let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. All nations will come to see your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Vast caravans of camels will converge on you, the camels of Midian and Ephah. The people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. There's a pastor named Mark Buchanan. I like what he says. Let me read this to you. He says, these people aren't just hoping to get through the night. They can't wait for the night to arrive because the nighttime is when they look for the star. They scour the stars. They study the configurations. They plot them on charts. They study sacred books to learn about the prophecies. They're gripped with a lifelong quest to find the meaning of life. They've been spiritually hungry from birth. The, their business is finding out if there is something truly worth living and dying for, and they want to find it. 
These guys are chasing something down. And the interesting thing is, they were right. They roll into Jerusalem with their entourage. Jerusalem was a pretty big cosmopolitan town, but even so, these guys arriving must have really been interesting. Like, wow, the circus has come to town. This huge caravan with these guys and all of their entourage and the camels and everything like that. So even in this town, people are talking. And then they roll in, and they're intelligent, but at the same time, I just love their naivete. They're asking everybody, where is the king that's been born? They have no idea that they've rolled into the region of Kim Jong Herod. <laughs> king Herod is an awful guy, and we're about to be introduced to him in this text. And they're just going around asking, where's the king? Where's the king? Not realizing that they're putting themselves in danger. Let's go ahead and read in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 2. When Herod the king heard that they had arrived asking for the king, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of the wise men, the Magi, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is so written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will be my shepherd of my people Israel. So then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child. When you found him, bring him to me, that I too may come and worship him. He's lying. He wants to get rid of this threat. But he sends them on their way. <clears throat> and he's an example of what happens when people stop pursuing the right things. He's a man who was six miles away from God being born. And all he can feel is threatened. But the wise men take off and they head out. And it, it says this in verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them went till it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were just overwhelmed with awe that they found the place. There's so much passion there. I love that. The passion that they were experiencing and demonstrating reminds me of another guy. I, I saw this guy on YouTube. Uh, I don't know if I, you remember this. If you were here a few weeks ago, I was talking about the Lamborghini Veneno. Remember that? It's a, like a three, four million dollar car. They only make a handful of them. The thing can go 300 miles an hour. I'm still disappointed that none of you have purchased that for me for Christmas. You still have two days, though. So there's, they're, they're rare. And to, be, to see one in the United States would be rare. Well, there's a kid I found on YouTube chasing these down, and he got word that there was maybe some Lamborghinis at a showroom in Long Island. So he's, well, here, just watch this video of him chasing them. That's exactly how I picture the Magi. Oh, they don't look happy. Oh, they're saying we can come in the house. Oh, there's the baby. I have been chasing this baby for so long. That passion. I just, I think of that, and the Bible says they had that passion. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy because they knew what they had found. Their obsession that started several countries over and several hundred, if not thousands of miles, and they're at the place, and it's there, and it's so cool. And you go down to verse 11, listen to what it says here, chapter 2, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw Mary with his mother, or they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him, which sounds weird. You're worshiping a baby, but we're telling you, even Jesus as a baby was worthy of our worship. 
And they did. They bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and they worshipped him again by presenting him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And they're, have you ever, frankincense, gold, and myrrh, if you ever wonder what those are, gold is obviously appropriate for anybody. It's very valuable, but certainly a gift that would be appropriate for a king. You notice there's three gifts here. That's why we say there's three magi, three kings. They all could have gone in. There could have been a dozen magi. We just don't know. But they gave them gold. Uh, they gave him frankincense, which is uh, an incense that you would burn as a part of worship. And so this is, again, a very appropriate gift for a king. It's incredibly expensive. It's some of the, something that would be evocative of saying this is deity. And then they gave him myrrh, which is the, this is really the odd one. Incredibly expensive and rare, but it's a burial spice. That's like... I, Somebody said, you know that the wise men, the magi, were not, none of them were women because there's not a diaper in the gift bag at all. <laughs> Who gives a baby a burial spice? It's like a gold-plated coffin. Really, these guys, I don't know if they knew what they were doing, but there was something so symbolic there that we are recognizing that this baby came here to die. And they got it, and they worshipped him, and they brought these gifts, and, and they were, they'd seen the, the, the whole thing through. And here's what I find so compelling for us 2,000 years later. I have no idea what these magi believed about God. For all we know, they could have been absolute pagans. But they're seeking the truth. And I think this is what's important for all of us to recognize, is that when you're seeking the truth, when you are seeking God, God will do everything he can to help you find him. Doesn't matter where your starting point is. If you're seeking God, you'll find him. It's 2,000 years ago today. And I love that these guys were following the star. And the star was following Jesus. And it got them exactly where they needed to be. And they continued to follow God even after this. You go down to verse 12. And this leads into what we're going to look at next week. So you can come back. I hope you do. And it says in verse 12. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. And so they're following God. And I guess it comes down to us. What are we going to do with this? You know, it's interesting to me, too. If you think about what Herod said, the worst guy in this probably gave the best advice. He was lying about what his intentions were. But he, when he said, go find the child and then I'm going to go worship him, that's really good advice. It comes from a bad source. It's one of those do what he says, not what he does kind of things. I think that's something that we could all take to heart. If God has really come to become one of us and he is worthy of our worship, this is like the thing that we should be doing with our whole lives. We should say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make Jesus the primary pursuit of my life. Maybe you being here tonight, I don't know where you came from before you got here. Maybe you've spent a lot of your life away from God and this is your first step toward God. Keep walking. Maybe 2018 is your year where you truly chase down God and you make him the most important thing of your life. And that completely will change everything for the better. I guarantee you that. You know, and I love this because this is what we are about here. This is why we've built this building. And we've been about this, whether we've been in a movie theater, or we've been in a school, we've been in a warehouse, we've been everywhere this church has, but we've always been about the same thing. We're here to, and God said, we want, I want you church to get people connected to me through Jesus. And I want you to get people connected to each other through Jesus. And you can do that. And that's what we're all about here. We'll help you do that. You know, they brought the gifts to Jesus. And I find this really compelling too. At Christmas time, this is a great time to think about just the gift that God gives to us, which is Jesus but it's, it's a gift. 
it's a difficult gift to receive, I guess I would say it that way. Timothy Keller is a pastor. He says, you know that there are some gifts that, that they are difficult to receive because of what the gift is. Sometimes it takes a little humility. Like what if your wife gave you a book called Dieting for Dummies? Or your best friend gave you a book, um, you know, about like uh, overcoming selfishness, <laughs> right? What kind of gift is that? By accepting the gift, you're kind of admitting, yeah, I am getting a little tubby and I can be kind of, you know, selfish and obnoxious. So it takes a little humility to accept a gift like that. And if Jesus is a gift that is here for us, there's a little humility in accepting Jesus because you have to say, leading my life by myself when I had my hands on the steering wheel of my life, has it really gone that well? There's some humility to say, I really think I need somebody else in charge of my life. I need God. And that's what it takes to receive Jesus. And the thing that, that I find so compelling for me and been so helpful to me is that while I've recognized long ago that I don't have the ability to pull my life together, God doesn't expect me to. That he'll do it for me. That he will do all the heavy lifting. That he will change me if I just simply ask him and submit to him and acknowledge that I don't have it all together on my own. And I think there's a whole lot of people in here that could say the same thing. That that's your story. That you can't figure out your life on your own. That you do need God's help. And many of you can tell a story that God has done amazing things in your life because you submitted to him. So I'm just encouraging you here with three things tonight. Just we've been talking about this. Jesus is so worthy of your worship. Worship him. God is doing everything he can to help people find him. So seek him. Maybe you're surrounded by people. You, you know God and you know the good he's done in your life. Maybe you need to be the one last step to invite them so that they can come here and experience this. And I, just one last thing. You, Jesus did here, come here for us. But the only way Jesus can change you is if you humble yourself and ask for his help. So you, Accept him.